Taking the Party Out of Politics. This is a podcast about understanding how politics is supposed to work, why it isn't working as well as it could be working, and what we might be able to do about it. Because by understanding a little bit more clearly how things are supposed to work and why they're a bit messed up, we might be able to get things to work a bit better, perhaps even a lot better. It's a little journey we're taking together about the systems and functioning of politics. Systems which we should all understand, because those systems affect all of our lives, all of the time. And this podcast is about how we might be able to make those systems work a bit better. In season one, we took a look at how government is supposed to work from the perspective of us, the voters. In season two, we took a look at how government is supposed to work from the perspective of someone trying to get elected, then trying to do a good job. And looking ahead in season three, we'll be looking at what we might be able to do to make things work a bit better. Importantly, when we get to season three, we'll be sharing our ideas, but also sharing some of the best of your ideas about how to make things work a bit better. Today, we're launching the first of a little mini-series between series two and series three, looking at people, organisations and issues which fall outside the established party political systems. We're looking at how some of those people and organisations are seeking to influence what happens in this country and in the world more generally. In other words, seeking to affect politics. But, not necessarily, not bothered about party politics. And we'll be looking at some of the issues which currently aren't being addressed successfully by our political party-dominated system of politics. Today, we're going to start by looking at protest. Protest as a way of raising issues. Influencing political parties, influencing the way in which all of us might think about something, and influencing what might actually happen. Protest has actually been in the news recently because there have been attempts to reduce the right to protest. There's a new government crime bill which is currently making its way through the Houses of Parliament. If you're interested in the various steps involved in that, listen to episode 15, Parliament. And part of that bill is trying to reduce the right to protest where protests might cause disruption. But isn't disruption the heart of protest? How else is a small group of people going to get their message heard by other people, or by the government, or by their employer? If you and everyone you work with are unhappy with your working conditions, of course you start by having a conversation with your company or your employer. But if that doesn't work, what do you do? Well, you could give up, but that doesn't make things any better. So you organise some sort of protest. Now, your protest could be in the park on Sunday afternoon, but how is that going to make your company or employer pay any attention? Why should they care? Or your protest could be outside the factory gates on Monday morning, making it uncomfortable for your employers as they have to drive past you and all your colleagues, all of you looking thin and undernourished because the employers aren't paying you enough. Well, that might get their attention. Even better, the local news might report on it, and your employers might be embarrassed into some sort of action. If that still doesn't work, then do you push things a little bit further? Do you perhaps try to stop the trucks delivering to your factory? That would be technically illegal, blocking the public highway. But would a small illegal thing be okay if the greater good was to get fair pay for everyone at the company? It's illegal, but you're stopping the traffic, you're not murdering children in their beds. Would that be okay? Well, that's what we're going to be exploring today. 
Now, the government website for the new bill says, quote, protests are an important part of our vibrant and tolerant democracy. Under human rights law, we all have the right to gather and to express our views. But these rights are not absolute rights. That fact raises important questions for the police and wider society to consider about how much disruption is tolerable and how to deal with protesters who break the law. A fair balance should be struck between individual rights and the general interests of the community. Having reviewed the evidence, our conclusion, that's the government conclusion, is that the police do not strike the right balance on every occasion. The balance may tip too readily in favour of protesters when, as is often the case, the police do not accurately assess the level of disruption caused, or likely to be caused, by a protest. These and other observations led us to conclude that a modest reset of the scales is needed. That's the end of the quote from the government website. So the point about balancing the scales here is specifically made with reference to a group called XR, as well as some others. The website goes on to say that during some protests in April and October 2019, quote, some of London's busiest areas were brought to a standstill for several days. This had a disproportionate impact on commuters and small businesses, for example, with the policing operation for the two extended protests costing £37 million. End of quote. OK, well, £37 million, it's a lot of money. It's reasonable to think about the money and the budgets involved. But it's also important to think about the impact which protesting has, and about the role which it has to play in our democratic system. Not everyone wants to commit themselves to getting elected, but many people, perhaps most people, will agree that there are a few things that they really feel passionately about, and which they would want to ensure that our government pays attention to. Perhaps many of those people have actually been on a protest or taken part in a demonstration, or at least perhaps signed a petition. So let's have a think about protests and demonstrations and try to work out where the balance should be. Let's start at the beginning and look at XR, the organisation mentioned on the government website. Let's look at XR as an example. Have you heard of XR? Uh, actually, back up. Have you heard that there are some issues about the climate? That human activity is causing climate change? Have you heard that the changes are going to cause permanent changes to the environment? That they're already creating changes to sea levels, to the ice caps, to glaciers, to people who live near the sea, and to all of us as weather patterns change? You probably have. In fact, you've probably heard it referred to as a climate emergency. What is meant by that is that there isn't much time left to do something about it. And by doing something about it, what is actually meant is doing something to try to limit the effects of the changes. Because we're already seeing changes. Well, if you've heard of the term climate emergency, it may well be thanks to XR. So who are XR and when did this podcast turn into a discussion about climate change? Well, the first part of that question is what we're here to discuss today. The second part, when did this podcast turn into a discussion about climate change? Well, that isn't the case. We're not here to discuss climate change, but the discussion about climate change is certainly the background as to why we're interested in XR. So why are we interested in XR? Well, two reasons. First, because XR, from a standing start about four or five years ago, perhaps the first time you might have heard about XR is when they successfully closed some bridges in London to vehicles, as was mentioned earlier in that bit from the government website. 
and that was only in 2018. Well, from a standing start four or five years ago, XR has made a pretty big political splash. And we're interested in looking at how XR has managed that. Sneak preview here, protest. Second reason is because XR advocates the sort of possible tweak to our political processes, which is absolutely central to this podcast. XR advocate the use of what is called a citizens' assembly. And we will talk more about citizens' assemblies later in our next episode. First, though, and in this episode, let's have a look at how XR have had an effect on our awareness of climate change as an issue, which needs some attention and some action. Well, what does XR stand for? Well, the simple answer is Extinction Rebellion. Now, of course, that's not exactly accurate because the word extinction doesn't actually begin with the letter X, even if it begins with the sound X. But you can understand why the two letters XR are a little more eye-catching and dramatic. It works as a logo. But more than what the letters stand for, what does Extinction Rebellion stand for? What does Extinction Rebellion want to achieve? Well, here's the interesting thing. Extinction Rebellion both wants a lot and, at the same time, doesn't actually want very much. The members of XR want us to acknowledge that there is an issue, an issue with the way in which we're polluting the planet, and they want us to take that issue seriously. And since our governments and our institutions, and perhaps to some extent we ourselves, well, since we haven't been very good at taking the seriousness of climate change, well, as seriously as we should, the members of XR are really trying to make us pay attention and take it all seriously. But, and here's the interesting bit, they don't actually have a preferred solution as to what action should be taken, except that they want action to be taken now, or very, very soon after now. So let's unpack that. XR has three demands. We'll look at those in a moment. What XR does is to try to cause disruption. Disruption in order that the people and the government pays attention to those demands. What sort of disruption? Well, peaceful protests, lying down on bridges to stop the traffic, disruption to get the attention of government, to disrupt the economy, because the economy is something that's really important to governments. All the government cares about is the economy, right? It's their number one priority. It's not people, it's not the well-being of its citizens, it's the economy. We hear it every single day, the economy, the economy, economy. So what do we do? We stop the economy. That's Marine from Extinction Rebellion. Thank you so much for having us. Um, I'm Marine Vandergeer, so I'm with Extinction Rebellion UK. Um, have been since pretty much the beginning, uh, when there was only about 30 of us <laughs> meeting um, in, uh, in, in various places and thinking, yeah, let's, let's start a rebellion. Um, will anyone show up? Will anyone join us? Has it always gone smoothly? No. And it's probably the case that every member of XR is at least a little bit uncomfortable about at least one of the actions which have been taken in the name of XR. Because there isn't a controlling central body where XR authorises and approves every action taken in its name. Sometimes people just go out and do what they think is going to get other people's attention. And it doesn't always work out perfectly. But on the whole, it does. It does get government attention. It does get media attention and it does get our attention. Now, I'm not sure whether XR invented the term climate emergency, but there's a good chance that if you've heard it, you heard it because of something which XR did. Now, this is not the place to start discussing the environment. There are lots of places which already do that. 
And there are lots of scientists and international bodies which say that human activity is affecting the climate. The International Panel on Climate Change, the United Nations. The point here is not to discuss the climate change and it's not to discuss what action should be taken. Even XR doesn't have a list of what actions should be taken. XR just wants us to sit down and understand all the issues and to decide together on what action we think should be taken. The point here is to discuss whether disruptive protests of the sort which XR has taken has been successful or not. Because, as I said earlier, despite all the disruption, XR is actually a pretty moderate organisation. Well, let's look at why it seems reasonable to call XR moderate. XR has three demands. There's a climate emergency. One, tell the truth. Two, act now. Three, be the change. We're agreed we're in a crisis and that's why, you know, that, that's sort of, that's why we have demand number one, which is tell the truth. Demand number two, act now. So there's already that agreement. There is an emergency. We need to act now. Demand number three, this is how we're going to do it. Now, before we even get to the demands, let's look at the attitude on the XR website. Quote, our demands are rooted in love, care and a fundamental commitment to climate justice. The effects of the emergency are being felt now and will continue to be disproportionately suffered by those who have done least to cause the crisis. In the UK, we bear a particular responsibility to the global majority and acknowledge and support the incredible work of the many organisations specialising in the specific issues related to justice. Unquote. Rooted in love, care and a fundamental commitment to climate justice. It doesn't sound particularly difficult or demanding, does it? These don't sound like French farmers dumping tyres outside the local préfecture and then setting fire to them. These don't sound like rioters and looters in South London in the summer. Love, care and being fair. It all sounds a bit more like afternoon tea by the river than police barricades and riot shields. What's not to like? Well, let's have a look at those three demands. Demands. That's a very, well... Demanding word, isn't it? Perhaps we can find out what sort of trouble this XR is really up to if we look at their demands. Well, not so much, actually. What were those demands again? Three demands. Tell the truth, act now and be the change. So, one, tell the truth. Again, from the XR website, quote, all institutions must communicate the danger we're in, end of quote. Well, that actually seems pretty uncontroversial. I mean, we would all want to be the told the truth about things, wouldn't we? But the point which XR makes is that governments and companies and large organisations haven't been publicising the challenges of climate change as much as they could or should have been doing. You may have heard that back in the mid-20th century, it was actually pretty common knowledge among tobacco companies that smoking was bad for your health. But tobacco companies not only didn't publicise this, they actually tried to promote the idea that it was good for you, or that the stories about it being bad for you were fear-mongering. I suppose that's a little bit like what's happening now. Governments, working on getting re-elected and on keeping people happy for another five years, well, those governments are often not prepared to take on long-term challenges, particularly if by addressing those long-term challenges, it's going to mean that we might have to take on some belt-tightening or adjust the way in which we live a bit. 
governments calculate that they want the electors to feel good about themselves and about the world, so perhaps sometimes those governments don't always explain some of the big challenges facing us in the future. So that's more or less what XR means when it says, tell the truth. So it's uh, tell the truth, which is basic, you would think. And that's also what the government committed in doing in Rio in 1992. So 1992 was a big UN summit. I mean, for some of the listeners, they think 1992 is centuries ago. Well, it, it basically is. Mm. <laughs> um, and they said then that they would inform the people of their countries about how bad the situation on climate change was. And they never did it. So that is the first demand, is tell the truth. Yeah. Tell people how bad it is. So it's for the government to tell the truth, but also the media and, and everyone, you know, for education, for everyone to say, this situation is really, really bad. It's not a little bit bad. It's really, really bad. OK, so if the first demand is met, and although we're all a bit more aware of the challenges of climate change than we used to be, perhaps we're not yet so aware that we're ready to do something about it yet, or at least not ready to do enough about it to make enough of a difference. So if the first demand isn't met, well, then there's the second demand. Do something about it. Second demand. Act now. Again, quote from the XR website, quote, Every part of society must act now to reduce greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by 2025 and begin protecting and repairing nature immediately. And then the second demand is um, act now. So the demand is to go to zero emissions. You know, it used to be net zero. It's kind of the debate around net zero versus zero versus negative is sort of quite... But it's act now. We have to stop emitting right now. Um, and 2025 was decided on because that shows, according to the science, that is where we need to go. And everyone's like, well, it's impossible. You're setting yourself up to fail. It doesn't matter. That is where we should be. So that is what the demand should be. And after that, there's the third demand. Number three, be the change. Again, from the XR website, quote, we demand a culture of participation, fairness and transparency. The government must create and be led by a citizens' assembly on climate and ecological justice. Only the common sense of ordinary people will help us navigate the challenging decisions ahead. End of quote. Most important, but really generally we think for everyone the most important should be the third demand, which has gone through a bit of a change. So it was go beyond politics, so go beyond party politics. Now it's called be the change. But essentially what it is, is a UK-wide um, citizens' assembly on climate and ecological justice that um, decides with ordinary citizens who get randomly selected to, to take part, that decides on how we are going to move forward. We're going to look at citizens' assemblies in our next episode. But for now, what's important to notice is that XR doesn't actually have a particular list of things which XR believes should be done. XR simply wants us and our government to pay attention, to think about the issues, to learn about the issues, and then to take the best action we think in the light of what we've learned about the issues, and to take that action as soon as possible. Well, now, in fact. But what action? XR isn't telling us what to think. XR is just encouraging us to think. 
Most protests are along the lines of, what do we want? Chocolate biscuits. When do we want them? With our cup of tea. XR's protest is more along the lines of, what do we want? People to think and understand. When do we want this? Well, all the time really, but as soon as possible would be great, please. Everybody needs to be involved in the decision-making on how we're going to do this. And only then will we get the robust decisions that we really, really need. So, how has XR tried to encourage us to think? Well, they could have put up billboards or paid for a radio advertising space. But what they've done is to hold protests. Protests which have disrupted traffic to get our attention. I suppose it's also fair to say that XR aren't that bothered about stopping cars because they believe that cars are part of the problem. But the point isn't to stop you getting to your work or to stop you from collecting your kids to school. The point may be to encourage you to think about whether you could have done those things on foot or by bike or perhaps on public transport. But the point is really just to get our attention, to force us and our government to pay attention. Is it fair to disrupt the traffic? In fact, to disrupt the economy by disrupting the traffic? just to get us to pay attention? Great question. The answer from XR would be that yes, it is. The main um, method of Extinction Rebellion is civil disobedience, non-violent direct action. So it's disrupting um, where it's going to affect the government the most. So it's the economy. So obviously April, uh, well, we, first we did the five bridges back in 2018. We, we blocked five bridges in central London. And then in April 2019, um, we, we blocked central London for two weeks. Um, and that is, of course, an economic nightmare for the government. And that is exactly what we wanted, because all the government cares about is the economy, right? It's their number one priority. It's not people. It's not the well-being of its citizens. It's the economy. We hear it every single day. The economy, the economy, economy. So what do we do? We stop the economy. And it got their attention. And that is, that is the main priority, is getting the attention, getting this subject on the debating table, People need to be thinking about this every single second of every single day. This is the most important, the, the worst crisis we've ever faced. So it's civil disobedience. And the non-violent aspect is because, obviously, we don't believe in violence. And you can see their point. Governments have been meeting other governments and scientific experts in conferences about climate change for decades. They've known that something needs to be done. But although we have a few wind farms and a bit more solar energy, it's clear that the action which has been taken hasn't been sufficient. As um, Mariah mentioned about 1992 in Rio, um, you know, there was a commitment by all these governments to keep their populations informed and also so they knew the effects. Of, they were calling it climate change then. I mean, now it's a crisis, if not, it's an emergency. But nobody's done it. That's Cathy. I'm Cathy and I'm the external coordinator for XR UK Citizens Assembly Working Group and Mariah's the internal, so she's my other half. So, if you were someone like a member of XR, someone who cared about an issue passionately, who cared about the future of life on the planet passionately, and who believed that there might be things we could do to save it, and who could see that not enough was being done, well, if you were that sort of person... How could you have got the attention of so many people and of governments? Perhaps by stopping the traffic? Irritating, perhaps. But stopping you driving somewhere through the middle of a major city 
in a protest which was signalled to the police and to the press, so you could have chosen to take a different route if your journey was really important. And let's be clear, if you were driving an ambulance trying to get to hospital, I'm pretty sure that none of the XR protesters would stop you. Well, all of that's an inconvenience. That's all. Yes, an irritation. But even if it isn't climate change, which is the thing which you're passionate about, perhaps you can understand why the XR protesters will feel that it's important that they do what they do to ensure that we all pay attention. Is it the best way to get our attention? Perhaps not always. Now, I might lose some friends by saying this, but whilst I can understand stopping cars in the centre of London, I do think that sometimes action taken in the name of XR has been counterproductive. There was, for example, an instance where XR protesters stopped some public transport, a tube train. That might have been counterproductive. After all, the people who were trying to take public transport to work were already trying to do the right thing. They weren't using private cars. They were using public transport to get to work. And if it's disruptive but counterproductive, then it might not be getting our attention in a way which will make us sympathetic to the message. But let's put that sort of thing down to an error, a miscalculation. Let's not choose to judge the success of an organisation by something which wasn't absolutely perfect. We don't judge whether Roger Federer is a good tennis player by some of his unforced errors. We judge him by all the consistently good ones and all the really amazing ones. The main idea for XR, as it would be for any protest, for any organisation trying to get what they want us to think about or to know or to do, the main idea is to get attention. And on the whole, it works. I think the April 2019 rebellion really did change the discourse around climate and biodiversity because before then we were still not ever but the general public in, in the mainstream media was talking about climate change some people were still talking about global warming uh we were talking we weren't even talking about biodiversity loss at all really not really mm. um and i think april 2019 really changed you can see in the media suddenly it was climate crisis climate emergency biodiversity breakdown, ecological breakdown, the language really changed. Um, and although we haven't seen concrete change, we really haven't, so there's still, which is why we're going back on the streets on the 9th of April, um, there's still so much to be done. The, the terminology has changed and the words may not seem important, but they are, because there's a big ch difference between someone talking about climate change or climate emergency. So I think that's changed a lot. Protesting works. It's a great part of our democratic system. It's a way of ordinary people like you and me showing other ordinary people and together showing the government what we all really care about. Stop the war. Do something about the environment. For people who are not a formal part of the elected government, protest is a way of getting attention for your message. Without it, we wouldn't have unions standing up for working people, for example. And here's a very important point about the way in which XR organises protests. They are non-violent. We want everyone involved. We don't want barriers for people to join. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's this non-violent... And also it creates a moral dilemma because you see these peaceful hippies, you know, as they like to portray us, sitting on the streets, not harming anyone, just being disruptive obviously and you get the police arresting 
people. Um, and it creates a dilemma because the public is like, well, we understand what it is they're trying to do, yet they're being treated as criminals, even though they haven't done necessarily any, you know, they're not stealing anything, they're not beating anyone up, but they are being treated like that. And it kind of shifts the the compassion and the intention from the public to be more supportive of the rebels. Whereas obviously if you're violent and scary, people aren't going to support you in the end. And I think sort of um, blocking the streets, as as we have done, and we do do, um, it makes people think. And we need, it isn't just the politicians, we need a lot of people. So, from a standing start, with successfully shutting down some bridges in central London in 2018, XR has got its message out there. Has XR been successful? Well, perhaps we are all increasingly aware of the challenges of climate change, and we're all increasingly aware that something needs to be done. Has XR changed government policy? No, well, not yet. Has XR raised our general awareness? Has it forced climate change up the agenda? The political agenda, but also your personal agenda. Has it encouraged you, me and everyone to make at least some changes to the way we live? Well, yes, yes, yes and yes. We might not all be at the point of doing quite as much as we could or should do, at least not quite yet. But if we're further along than we were a few years ago, then at least part of the credit for that should go to XR, as well as to other organisations who are aiming for the same thing. Because the third demand from XR, well, a version of that has taken place already. There has been a citizens' assembly about the climate. It wasn't set up with exactly the same demanding parameters and urgency to take action, which XR would have wanted. We cannot support it. We have three demands and this doesn't meet those demands. But it has happened. We'll look at what is meant by a citizens' assembly, how it could work, and why XR weren't happy with the one that has taken place, we'll look at that next time. Next time, we're going to look at the process which XR thinks we should use to help us to think about what action we should take. A citizens' assembly. That's when a group of people, perhaps a hundred, who are selected to represent a cross-section of society, some old, some young, Rich and poor, university educated and not, different genders, different political views. Well, they're all brought together to learn about an important issue, such as climate change, to make recommendations about what actions we should take as individuals and also as a country, and perhaps also as a country with an international or maybe even a global role to play in taking an influential lead, and for our government to pay attention. That's what we're going to look at next time. For now, thank you for listening, and thank you to Cathy Conn and Marijn van der Geer, the internal and external coordinators for the Citizens' Assembly Working Group for Extinction Rebellion UK. If you'd like to have a look at the transcripts of the podcast, including links to all our sources and references, please go to www.talktogether.info and follow the links to the podcast from there. And of course, if you'd like to contact us, not least if you'd like to share any ideas which you have about how we could make things better, or if there are any areas of how politics is supposed to work, but why it isn't working, then please email us anytime on info at talktogether.info. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then I hope you'll take the time to tell your friends. And perhaps you could also take a moment to give us a rating wherever you found us. That not only helps other people to find us, it just really also makes us feel appreciated. That would be great. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Yeah.